welcome to the Midlife Career Rebel, the podcast created for high-achieving professional women to gain the clarity, confidence, and courage they need to go after and get the life and career they want. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh, lawyer, social scientist, brand strategist, executive coach, entrepreneur, and Midlife Career Rebel. Each week, you'll learn strategies to manage your mind, navigate the challenges of midlife, and take control of your career so you can thrive doing the work you love. So if you're ready to tear up that rule book and create your own, you're in the right place. And I can't wait to show you how. Hey, Rebels, welcome back. I am so glad you're here with our continual series of Career Rebel Conversations. And today I am so excited to have on a friend, a colleague, a fellow sister of the Academy on with me today, fellow entrepreneur. We have Dr. Kathy Mazak, who is an academic writing coach for women. She's a tenure professor turned entrepreneur who is on a mission to help academic women and non-men change the culture of academia from the inside out, one published and tenure professor at a time. Because when more women and non-binary folks, especially folks of color, are included in the conversation and actually sit at the table in those rooms where decisions happen, only then can we start bringing down the racist patriarchy that keeps trying to shut us out of academia. I love that mission. I love that goal. Kathy, thank you for being here. Yay, Carol. I'm so excited. Yay. (laughs) I would love to hear more about your story. I think it's just amazing. You know, having spent a career in academia, Going on that path, I stepped out at assistant professor, at associate professor level, went into academic leadership and, you know, became an, a director and associate dean and the like and, and walked away from that. I would love to hear your journey through academia because you've reached tenured status. Oh, yeah. And decided to start a movement, a, a, a revolution for other academic women. I would love to hear more about your journey and what prompted the pivot for you. Yeah. Yeah. So let me start the story (laughs) at Michigan State, where I met my wonderful partner and husband, Guillermo, who was studying there at the same time. And we ended up doing our PhDs. I met him there. We studied and graduated the same year. And his dream, he's an animal scientist, and his dream was always to come and work in Puerto Rico, making agriculture better here at University of Puerto Rico Mayagüez, which is like the only school in Puerto Rico, or it was at the time where you could study a degree in agriculture. He's like, this is what I want. I want to kind of go back and give to my community. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> like, I, I was like, let's go. I was in, like, my field of study is educational linguistics. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful and wonderful place to study language and bilingualism. And we both got the dreamy dual tenure track lines, one of us first and then the other. And we were like, live in the dream, you know? And I got well, let's say, so we're living the dream for the first couple of years. And then, uh, and I'm sure any academics in your audience will be very familiar with the feeling of like, and then budget cuts. So mm. what seemed like was going to be like, this is my 30 years and I'm going to have a government pension and I'm going to, you know, like it's going to be nice and cushy and exciting also. And I love the the students and everything started to get like the 
the working environment deteriorated over time. Mm. And so first they were like, oh, you could go up for tenure, except that we can't pay you the pay raise. So you're just going to have to sit at assistant until we have enough money. You can go on this wait list. So it's like a whole bunch of us. It was my cohort that we all went up. We got these nice letters that were like, you would be promoted if we had the money. Meanwhile, you got to sit on this wait list where we sat for years. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So we should have been assistant professors. We should have had that pay raise. That didn't happen. Meanwhile, like just, you know, over the years, and and I'm talking about like 13 years, um, and I made it all the way to full professor in 13 years. I always loved the students and many of my colleagues, but the environment on campus got worse and worse. So Mm. in, I'm afraid I'm going to put the wrong date, but when the Le Promesa, which was the the law that was enacted to like restructure Puerto Rico's debt Mm -hmm. um, started to kind of rule over the island. Basically the people that it installed a group of people who are like, well, University of Puerto Rico, you have to cut $500 million from your budget. And so it was just like more cuts and more cuts. So basically my career in Puerto Rico spanned over the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm sure other people in other States have, excuse me, in states in the United States, Puerto Rico is not a state. Um, so <laughs> in, Puerto, in other, uh, and, and in state run, you know, institutions have mm-hmm. felt this as well. I know Alaska, Illinois, Wisconsin kind of come to mind, but it's really rough for, <laughs> for everyone when that's happening. Mm-hmm. And in Puerto Rico, we have a long tradition of um, student strikes. So when they tried to put up the tuition for students, there was a long strike. And there was this moment during the strike, I remember it really clearly. Um, And so when students strike, it means like they close the gates and they kind of camp by the gates so nobody can come in and work. It was pre-COVID, pre like Mm -hmm. very much online classes or anything. And and online classes were actually considered strike breaking, which at that point was against the university policy. So we're all just like hanging out, trying to keep our research going. Well, we can't Mm -hmm. go on campus, but also not giving class. And I was in the bakery. And I was overhearing people talking about the university strike because it was front page news and it was always on TV because it was all 13 campuses were striking at the same time. And somebody was like, why are we paying the professors? Like, why, why are they using, you know, state money to keep paying employees of the university if the, if the professors aren't giving classes? And I had this light bulb in my head that goes, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, like Oh, the, my gosh. The, the two of us have our whole livelihoods in the university. And if they decided like, we can't pay you or we're not going to pay you, there is no cushion because, you know, depending on your field, I guess, in some ways, but, you know, we think that university professors make it like make, make enough money to like be cushy and have reserves, but we didn't. Yeah, you know, we it's had very kids. different. The salary structure ranges yes. based on the profession or the yes. subject matter area in which you're teaching. Right. Is. Sure. Yeah. Right. So we didn't have. We were like living paycheck to paycheck, you know, comfortably, but still living pay, paycheck to paycheck. And I was like, dang, if we even miss one paycheck, like we can't pay our mortgage. Wow. And it just made me think I need to think of a way to bring in extra money. So 
I tried some different things, learned about this whole world of like online courses and that there were people out there like creating their own courses with their own structures. And I was like, oh, I can do this. I'm good at this actually. And just brainstormed lots of different business ideas. And, you know, they tell you to like, you know, look at ideas for what people ask you about anyway. Mm-hmm. And people were always asking me, like, how did you get your writing done? How did you publish this book? And you're on a 4-4. How do you get this article out and do all this research and bring in grants when you're teaching a 4-4? And so I decided that's what my blog was going to be about and kind of started building from there in, in 2017. I didn't build it as an escape route, <laughs> but it <laughs> ended up being one, you know. Um, wow. It, it was so, like, earlier in my career... Well, I guess what I felt like was I was at the top of the pay scale. I had done a lot of the things I wanted to do. I founded a research center. I had brought in grant money. I was teaching the courses I wanted to teach. Like, And it was like, I tried admin and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where can I go from here? We're not leaving Puerto Rico. That was never on the table. Mm-hmm. So I was like, there's nowhere for me to go. And then I started doing this blogging and creating these courses and coaching academics about, you know, particularly academic women about writing. And I couldn't get enough of it. I was like so jazzed about that. Like I didn't, we like didn't want to do my academic work anymore because I was so excited about the business. Mm-hmm. And thankfully was able to grow it, you know, to the point that it replaced my salary And then thankfully as well, was able to take a leave without pay, without having to quit my job. You know, like I could hold my position because hiring was frozen anyway. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't hurting anybody or hurting my department by holding onto my tenure line. Yeah. In fact, I was kind of helping them to keep that tenure line until, you know, they unfroze the hiring. Mm -hmm. So I was able like for two years to do like a leave without pay, develop the business and you know, much to my husband's dismay because he was like, can't you do both things? I was like, nope, I can't. (laughs) I can't go back to doing that and do this too. And just have been able to, you know, I finally resigned, you know, last summer and was able to like, just, I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) So that's my, that's the story. That is so incredible. I love that you told that story because it's always a journey. It's never yeah. people, people are so used to seeing the end result that they think, oh, you just woke up one day and decided to build a billion dollar business. Right, right. <laughs> and not realizing that no, it's a journey of it's a constant process of decision making yeah. that you have to take in order for you to get where you have to go. And I know mindset is a big thing when it comes to, I mean, because you you went through school, you're an academic, that's where you thought you would be, and that's where the plan was. And then, of course, things shift and change. And I think what often happens is that what holds a lot of people back is the fear of the unknown, right? Yeah. And, and you were already in the middle of the fear of the unknown in a lot of ways, yeah. but... When you stepped into this new venture and decided when your husband's like, no, Dibos, and you're like, nope, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go yeah. for this. Were there moments where you like, oh, I don't know? And like, was there this fear of like what would happen to let that security blanket go in a way? And and what did you do to kind of really do the mindset work to, to move past that? Yeah, I mean, there was absolutely fear, right? Like, and you know, it's hard to take a leap. Like, even if you think like, 
I'm pretty sure that I can replace my salary. I can sustain what I'm doing and grow it enough to replace my salary. But at some point, I was like, I can't do both of these things because the first two years when I was like basically developing the business and the first year was really like a side gig where I was testing stuff and whatever. And then the second year was more like in that building, like how, how can I really build? And I don't even want to use the word scale because it's like, I didn't even have a thing to scale. It was like, what, what is this business going to be? Yeah. You know, and how Just building can I... the foundation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was like the second year. And I was like, you know, it was very scary to think about taking away that salary, but truthfully, like a, a couple things. One is I realized, and this is mindset work and also just like a realization that I had that the unstable thing was the tenure track job. Mm-hmm. So there was like a, I mean, and I think other academics can, if you, if you really sit down and think about it, you know, COVID showed us they can get rid of your department. I'm not trying to like freak people out, but like they can get rid of your department. They could combine your department with another department and get rid of your line. So even in a university that might seem like super stable or an economy that might seem super stable, the idea that you will stay in that same tenure track line for 30 years, I think is becoming less and less probable. And it's certainly in my situation, I was like, this could disappear at any moment. Like they were combining campuses and they were starting to say like, oh, well, we have an English major in Rio Piedras and we have an English major in Mayagüez and we have an English ed major in Aguadilla. So why wouldn't, why would we have a three majors in different parts of the island? All the English majors should be in one place. Well, if they didn't choose Mayagüez, that was going to mean I was going to drive to San Juan for three hours every day. Like it was like, you know, like not something I was willing to do. And so- I kind of realized, yeah, the the tenure track job was the unstable thing. I have much more control over the business. And so it was just a process. Like you were saying, it's a process of development over time. It's like a process of gaining confidence mm-hmm. and continuing to gain, gain confidence as a businesswoman, right? And know that like, even today, if like everything disappeared in this current business, I know I could make the whatever 50, but I was, ta- I was bringing home, like, like I was making 85 K, mm-hmm. but I was bringing home like 55 K, you know, after taxes and all the stuff. Yeah. And I was like, I know that I can make 55 K, you know, like yeah. at the end of the yeah. day, like, I know that I can do this no matter what, but that was a mindset change that happened over you know, the course of years. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said about that the unstable position was a tenured position because you are so right. What If nothing, if COVID has taught us nothing else this pandemic is that traditional employment positions are not stable, that people have downsized, companies have closed. I know universities have closed and yeah. definitely have consolidated departments or got rid of departments. So people have felt it across the board and there's so much instability and unpredictability still that we're in right now. And so I love that what you saw was that the position was unstable, but that you were, that like you within yourself 
that you knew what you could do. And so, you know, I always say as an entrepreneur, you get to create your own economy. And that's exactly what you're able to do if you trust and believe in what you have to bring to the table. So I love that. I love that. So for my rebels out there listening who are thinking about, can I take my side hustle to another level? I love the thought that actually the paycheck that you think is stable is really the gamble. Yes. (laughs) More so than the business, which is amazing. So what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that really hold women back from going after like the career and lives that they really want? Something that, you know, I love that you started off saying that you were loving these conversations around writing and helping these women and finding that joy and passion. And I think it's fabulous that you did that because I think so many people don't even explore those other aspects of themselves and their talents and gifts that could be amazing. I mean, you you were teaching linguistics. You're in that department. I'm sure you were good at it and loved it. But then you found something else too that yeah. you were talented at and good at and loved. That that was all you know wrapped up and pulling that out and finding that is so amazing. What do you think is some of the biggest challenges women have for leaning into those gifts and innate talents and like figuring out which one of them they really want to maybe lean into and yeah. going after doing more of that in their lives and careers? I mean, I think that that especially women and I, I would say like women and non-binary people or women and non-men, right? <laughs> like uh-huh. just to be yeah. like, just to, to, to be clear about who we're talking about. Yes. Right? You think that you, that you are your job title yeah. and you know, you're not your job title. You're you. Amen. And so whatever you're, creating and doing within the structure of the job title that you're in, you could be creating and doing it under a different title, a title or a, a container. I call it like a container, right? Like you create your own container, make your own business and do it. You could go, there's lots of other places and academics especially find it really hard to think about, to think that they have, I, I'm, I see this all the time, like academics saying, like, I want to get out, but I don't know how my skill set transfers to some other job title. Mm. And what I want people to think about is like, what is your unique creation in the world? Like what, and what do you want it to be? And there's like a million different ways you could create that, you know, find a a job title that fits or make your own container through which to do it. And it takes a lot of confidence. It does take a lot of confidence and self-trust to say like, yeah, I have something unique to offer in the world. But I imagine that the people listening to this podcast are just those people who are like, I know I got something going on here and I just got to figure out how to make my career line up with my level of awesomeness. Even if you're thinking about your level of awesomeness, like privately to yourself, because you don't want to say it too long, but like, you know, like, like, (laughs) which women mostly do. (laughs) Right. So, and I think women, especially like, right. Like you, we fought so hard to even get access to these spaces. Right. If you think about like how long it's been that women have even been in academia, getting PhDs and then becoming professors, it's Mm. not that long. So, To then say again to women, like, and also this isn't the only way that you can be an academic. There's a ton of other ways or the only way that you can do your work in the world. There's a ton of different ways. It's also hard to hear. It's like, I just got in here, you know, like I'm just being successful at this thing. But really like, I think people need to think like, I am worth 
putting in the time and the thought and the self-reflection to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with my precious life. And I wasn't going to sit in, I wasn't going to keep being in a place that was like literally holding me back at every stage. And I think part of the reason I love the business is because it like unleashed a creativity in me that I, the container of the university wasn't letting me live out. Mm. And I do think like, and, and in my coaching, so let me say though, that like, I don't, coach people out of academia. Like I actually coach people in academia. So it's, <laughs> it's not that I don't think you, and I actually really believe, and I, I want people to understand that like you can change, you know, your job, you could craft, they call it job crafting, right? Like you can craft your job. You can change your position and your job I decided not to. I decided actually like I had done as much as I could in that container and I was going to create a new container. But I think that that like people really need to understand that their great gift doesn't need to, or their great contribution could come out and be realized in the world in so many different ways, not just by a certain job title. Yeah. Uh. So much gold. I love that. That is so true. I mean, similarly, I coach women who are in the corporate space or in their current workspace, and you don't have to leave. But if you tap into what's, like you said, your values and your worth and all of the innate gifts and talents that you have and to pick the one or to pick the things that you really want to realize and put forth, you can create your own space. Or if you decide to like latch out and do something different, that's a possibility too. So I love that. I love that. You mentioned that your husband was like, can't you do both? <laughs> right? So, so I know that there could be people who maybe don't want you to do something different. Like how do you handle yeah. reactions from family or friends or other people saying, what are you doing? Oh my God, you have such a good thing. Why would you move and do something different or quote unquote, throw it all away? You know, all the well-meaning people who are just throwing fear, doubt and everything at you. How do you handle the reactions of people close to you who are not 100% on board with the decisions that you're making for yourself and your career? Yeah. I mean, I just, for like my dear husband, (laughs) I just keep bringing home the money. (laughs) Like, I just just keep paying for things. And, um, And he knows, he's my biggest fan in terms of like, he's always like, been like super supportive of all the wackadoo ideas that maybe I've had. But he's also, he's a liberal person politically and conservative when it comes to like jobs and stability, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just kept quietly, like I wasn't like up in his face. I was just like, kept doing my thing and kept doing my thing. And finally, like, It was like, he just had to kind of like live with the fact that I was quitting. And the good thing again, is that I took two years of, you know, leave without pay where I was able to like demonstrate, continue to demonstrate that I could like hold up my end and Mm -hmm. exceed, you know, what I had been making before. And that this was going to be our path to realize like our family's dreams. In terms of like other people, I'll be like hundred percent honest. Sometimes I don't like, it's like other like parents of kids at school. Sometimes I'll say, 
you know, if somebody asks what I do, I'll say, well, I'll say, if they ask what I do, I'll say I'm a business owner. But a lot of people assume I'm still a professor because that's how mm. they met me. Yeah. Um, and they don't know if I've been secretly, you know, like <laughs> creating this thing. And so like, I just try to put it in, like, I just try to be honest and smile and be friendly and just be like, yeah, you know, like this, like if I have to shut down a conversation and say like, well, I've tripled my salary, you know, yeah. <laughs> like then yeah. that'll shut it down. Like yeah. if people start that, I'll be like, well, since I've tripled my salary over the past like two years, like I, I feel pretty confident that we're going to be fine, yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's what people understand. That's what people think. And I think this is true in a lot of ways that people who start their own businesses are struggling, right. you know, like they're, they're struggling and it, yeah. you know, thankfully, right. I've been able to do it without the, that struggling and, and it's taken time and it continues to take time and, and it continues to be a lot of learning, but I feel confident that in terms of like, if it ever stopped if the business ever like stopped being able to pay me, which I know people run businesses, then they don't pay themselves. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Don't know. Totally. So like, so sometimes I do just like shut down those questions with that, but it's hard too. When you say like, Oh, what, what do you do? I have an online business, you know, and people are like, what's that? You know, yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I'm like, I do professional development for professors. They're like, okay. You know, but you know, the truth is that people don't understand university professors either. They have an idea. Right. They have like a pre, they think you're like, you know, a teacher of yeah. older people. That's right. What, right. Know. So they don't understand. They, I always, I had that struggle too, that I was like, no, I'm not just a teacher. I'm a researcher. And I, you know, like, yeah. So, you know, well, I always say that people have a hard time seeing beyond their own limitations. So yeah. if they can't envision it for themselves, they can't envision it for other people. And we just live in such a society where career titles, back yeah. to your earlier conversation, yeah. are just so important. And so unless it's a title that people get and societally we placed values on certain titles. So mm -hmm. if it's a title that I don't commonly see or get or that type of thing, then everything else is confusing and it's not good, right? Yeah. So we live in such a binary society that it's either this or that, that people aren't open up to the possibilities of what you can do. And I think that's what keeps people stuck in careers or jobs or titles because of the naysayers or what will people think or they want to understand and I don't want to have to explain, but missing out on living their best lives and having opportunities. So, yeah, I, you know, there's a comic that I like named Cat Williams who said, if you don't have haters, you're doing something wrong. So, yeah. so I say, if you have people who are like, what are you doing? That's crazy. You're like, you are on the right track. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's one way to look at it. So, what advice would you have for women who are like on the fence about this, yeah. who are like, oh, which way do I go? What do I do? I mean, I know it's an individual choice and you have to come to your mm -hmm. own kind of place, but what words of wisdom would you give for a woman who's like on the fence, you know, who maybe has done that due diligence and is ready, but still not sure which way they should go? Yeah. I mean, I would say that like, you are the person you can trust the most in the world. Ooh, Yeah. So if you can tap into that and really, really think, you know, like who's going to have my back more than me, you know, like, this is like a, you know, so Good that point. you can trust yourself, you can trust yourself to like, follow those, follow that thread that you're of what you're trying to create. And you can trust yourself that you will make a good decision, even though society tells you that you are not 
trustworthy as women, you know, we have to fight back against that constantly and inside our heads as coming outside. So I think it really is a matter of like, trust yourself. You're going to be able to do it because look at all that you've done before. Yeah. I think that is so powerful. And I think it's something that we're not taught as women to trust ourselves and to trust our own voice and to trust our own intuition. We talk about this, and I think we even met working with a coach together on our businesses. Where would you say having a coach really helped in terms of you learning to trust yourself, to trust your word, to tr- you know, to, to believe in yourself? Because well, well, I do think at some levels to achieve success, to be high performing and high achieving, there has to be some belief in self to go out of the box or to break free from the status quo or to try something unknown. It requires to be a little deeper level of trust outside of the norm. How would you say coaching helped you in, in, in that process? Well, I mean, definitely coaching helped me with my mindset around what I could believe was possible. So that's like one thing. But the other thing is that, you know, I'm a really good student. (laughs) So a lot of the kind of coaching I did, and I'm still doing, you know, for the business was like learning how to run a business, learn how to build a brand, learn how to launch your podcast, learn how to do all of these things. And I know that I'm a good student. And I also have that desire to learn that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have, but that definitely a lot of professors and academics have is like, I want to keep learning. And I was always willing to like, listen to experts about what I, I could do next. And, you know, I've made some choices in terms of coaches that when I look back, I kind of go like, oh, that probably wasn't, I thought that was the right move, but it wasn't, Mm -hmm. but I still learned a ton yeah, You know, and I enjoy having a coach because I find the pressure of being the, like the CEO who's holding, well, now I have, you know, employees and everything. So yeah. like I have a team of five and, and I'm holding, you know, I got to make revenue so that I can pay everybody and we can serve our clients the best that we can. And, you know, like, it's nice to have somebody to help you through that. And even if it's just a sounding board kind of person, but you know, Oh yeah. You know, coaches help, you know, like how ask you good coaches, ask you the right questions. So you can see that you already know what to do. And I appreciate that coaching kind of relationship where I have somebody who can really direct me to like, they can offer their expertise, but then they also are pulling expertise out of me and helping me see that I do kind of know what to do. Yeah, But I like that. I I really like having a coach. Yeah, I do love that. Yeah, that's what I've enjoyed about it too. But I also also find that women struggle with seeking coaching. I I think at some level, there's a stigma about asking for help or thinking that you should know and to ask to, to get a coach or to work with a coach means some type of signal that maybe you don't know or you're not on top of your game. I think people just have a really miss conception around the benefit that can come from coaching. I always tell people to think about like Serena Williams, like she has a coach, like, I mean, come on. So she can be coached then why not me? But, but where do you think that comes from? And how do you, if you've come across that, how do you help women kind of see like, this isn't a mark against you. This is like a, in the plus column to actually get somebody on your side. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that for my audience, it comes from this culture of academia, but I don't think that the culture of academia is that different than just like patriarchy, right? (laughs) Like in general. So it happens in businesses. It happens in a lot of places, which is we have this cultural belief in the self-made man, right? Mm. And the bootstraps and the whole shebang. So like if you are walking around in, in, in academia, what it looks like, right, is like that professor, like that burning the midnight oil kind of like, you know, with stacks of books and a tweed jacket and like, you know, that person is, doesn't care about his body, right? Like, it's like, like <laughs> you know, he's not, he's like eating microwave hot pockets or whatever, you know, like it's just like, because the work, because the work is so important and right. I'm making discoveries or whatever. Well, you know, corporate isn't actually like that and neither is academia, right? Like everything happens in teams, like everything happens with support, but there's this cultural belief that it doesn't. And it's reinforced by who gets the accolades and awards and promotions an individual person, you know, Mm -hmm. gets that. And so I think a lot of times there is definitely a, a narrative about like, if you ask for help, you're weak or stupid. And that's compounded by being not straight white male, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so yeah. like if you're in any of those, like from marginalized communities or, or socialized in ways that make you believe that you are like in a space you're not supposed to be in. Yeah. All of that contributes to that feeling of like, well, if I ask for help, I'm going to like reveal that I don't know what to do. And that is the first part of vulnerability that's going to help you grow, but it's really hard. And we have clients even who are like, I don't want anybody to know that I'm in your program. I get that too. Like, don't like, no, don't tell anybody. I'm like, yeah. And I have clients too, that like we ask, um, like we, we really try to encourage and develop this culture of wins that people can share like wins big and small and all that stuff. And we want to highlight people's publications in our newsletter because they go out to like 24,000 people, you know, and like maybe more people will read your stuff. Right. Right. We've had people be like, we, I, that freaks me out. I don't, I don't want to get that kind of attention, you know, and which I get like, but I think it's that just indicative of being in a space where you're con- you're kind of like told you're supposed to do it by yourself and mm-hmm. that you're supposed to like survive on your wits and like all of that kind of stuff. It's like a cult. It's a na- whole narrative. <laughs> you oh my know, gosh. That, that, yeah. But really yeah. what we need and, and what um, we need the support of mentors who aren't in competition with us. Like, and I think coaches can really be that kind of person. We need to develop self-mentoring and be able to like trust our own voice instead of looking, always looking up and out at other people to tell us what to do. That's why I love coaching. Cause that's to me, the coaching relationship is about, you know, pulling your own self, developing your own self mentoring with this other person that's going to help you get there. And then in our programs, like we really emphasize community and understanding that you think that you are the only one, but you're not. And we're going to put right. you in this space where everybody's going to be like, oh my God, that's what I feel too. And that is like something that's hard to create outside of group coaching, you know, like even within like university departments or like professional organizations, sometimes it's hard to like stop competing mm-hmm. or like to, to, to stop like feeling like I should be, I can't 
I can't be vulnerable here because vulnerability is going to be weakness. And then I'm not going to look like I'm the superstar that I'm supposed to look like or whatever. Yeah. But in, in a coaching program, you know, you can kind of, you can tap that vulnerability. That's really going to help you grow. Yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think you just really laid out the case and the issue at hand. And I do think it's a design of the patriarchy. It's funny because I think at that level, there is like the white boys networking club. They do yeah. get support. They do have contacts. They, there is a quote unquote club <laughs> where they can get the support and lean on each other. But I think they have shifted the narrative for marginalized communities, for women to keep us isolated from each other. So we don't ask for help because it's so much easier when you're separated from the herd, if you will, to mm -hmm. ostracize you, to take you out, to shut you down and to ensure that you don't rise to success. If you do it in isolation and not come together in the power of the community. I think they understand the power. The patriarchy understands the power of the community. Oh, and yeah. that's why they want to make sure nobody else has the power of community. Yeah. So they they put forth this narrative of no individualism, just you go for it, don't get any help. And we've kind of bought into that shit. And so it's yeah. so important yeah. that, you know, we understand what's going on around us. We understand the context in which we're in so that we can make decisions that are best for us and not in line with maybe what we've been taught or adherent to believe. Right. So I uh, love that. So amazing. So I have a question for you, which I ask everybody on the podcast. What does it mean to be a career rebel? Like when you hear that phrase, what does that mean for you? I actually love that phrase. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about this. So I think like for me and like, as we kind of said at the top and, and we've said throughout, right? Like I'm really interested in saying what's at work here, like is not just inside your head, it's also social. So yeah. at, when you are successful, it's like, you know, Audre Lorde would be like my self-preservation, right? Like my existence mm -hmm. is a rebellious activity. <laughs> and that's how I feel about career rebels, right? A career rebel yeah. is somebody who is like, I'm going to do what I want to do to be happy and, and successful on my terms in my career, not on other people's terms, not, not just climbing the ranks to climb the ranks, but to say like, what's my contribution to the world? How do I want to feel while I'm making that contribution yeah. and crafting a career around that instead of around a job title or something else? I think that's really rebellious, especially when women and non-binary people do it. Like that yes. makes it extra rebellious. Yes. Oh, I love that. Frame it. Market is fabulous. <laughs> so Kathy, what's next for you? I heard that you have written yet another book. What's coming up on the, what's coming down the pike for you? Yeah. So I, it's funny. <laughs> uh, the book has been hard because even though I'm a writing coach, I like, it's still not easy to write. This is my first, like, completely like a book that just comes out of my head, right? That's not like an academic book. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm just reading the subtitle for you because it's totally right in line with everything that we've talked about. So my <laughs> new book is coming out. It'll be released in ebook form in May and then will be in bookstores near you in September. It's called Making Time to Write, How to Resist the Patriarchy and Take Control of Your Academic Career Through Writing with Morgan James Press. And so if you want more information and you want to make sure you hear about when that book is coming out, I can give you a link, Carol, to kind of put in the show notes so people can get on a wait list for the book. 
And I'm going to be talking more about it in my podcast. So we're, I also have a podcast called Academic Writing Amplified that you can find on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we would love, you know, if you're interested in hearing more about the book, we would love to have you get on like the book launch wait list. We're going to have lots of like special prizes and things for people who pre-order and things like that. So to get all of that information and be the first to order We'll put a link in the show notes to where you can go. Yes, love that. Yes, we will put all those links in so you can absolutely find them. Kathy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on this podcast and share your amazing insights and wisdom with the audience. I mean, I know they're loving it. I, if I loved it, I'm sure they're loving it too. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was so much fun. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's it for today, Rebels. I am so happy that you decided to join us. Please share this episode and the podcast itself with others who you know could benefit from the nuggets and insights that were shared by Kathy today. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment and review. And as I said, we'll drop all the information in the show notes so you can get on the wait list for the book that you can listen to Kathy's podcast and follow the amazing work that she's doing. So until next time, have an amazingly rebellious week. See you soon. If you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, then you've got to come check out the Career Rebel Academy. It's where you'll get the individual help and support you need applying the concepts and strategies you're learning here and so much more. You'll be joined by a community of other rebels just like you, and I'll be there as your guide every step of the way. If you're genuinely looking to change the course of your life and career, I promise you, this is the place you'll want to be. Just go to www.carolparkerwalsh.com forward slash career dash rebel dash academy. I can't wait to see you there.